What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's Word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. The scripture reading this morning can be found in Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning again. Um, I'm excited for this text. It's a pivotal text in the Gospel of Matthew, because you're going to see Chris will come next week and preach, Lord willing, on the first few verses of chapter 10, where Jesus is going to begin sending out apprentices who become apostles. And the ministry and the mission of Jesus is now going to be this centrifugal force that kind of spins outward from Jesus and is now cast broader and broader. And I, I come back to a text like this, and I just think it's as simple as this. If you are sitting there and saying, like, I want to live on the mission of Jesus, I want to go and be a part of what he's up to in our world so what does that look like? Just in a concise framework that I can actually remember and practice, what would that look like? And this is like this little boot camp thing with Jesus where he's like, as I begin to send you, let me just show you a couple key things. So we're going to see as Jesus is hanging out with crowds here that Matthew's going to notice four things that are a pattern in Jesus' life of this is what Jesus did, does when he's around crowds. I want to point out that verse 35, where we let off this morning, where it says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. If you were to flip back to chapter 4, verse 23, you have bookends that sound almost identical. And what, what Matthew's doing is he's showing us that now with the Sermon on the Mount and a number of different miracles of authority and power to heal, to cleanse, to cast out demons, to even raise the dead, we're bookending that here showing us that Jesus has all authority now to send these disciples out as missionaries, as emissaries, and to go and do what he did. And here's what Matthew is going to show us Four things about this ministry of Jesus. Very simple. Jesus sees, Jesus senses, Jesus shepherds, and then Jesus sends. And this is very important for how you and I worship and enjoy Jesus. It's also very important if we want to walk in his footsteps and follow him and apprentice under him that we learn what this means. So number one, I said Jesus sees. And we'll have a little chart up here that you can kind of follow along with. And I'm going to show you how this becomes a cycle and a pattern that Jesus does over and over again and then is going to invite you and I into. Verse 36, notice this. When he saw... Matthew says, when he saw the crowds, he saw what? It goes on that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Matthew uses some pretty intense words here. The word harassed actually literally means to flay the skin off of, to, to mangle something. And you could picture a sheep, you know, maybe caught in a thicket, caught by its wool and brambles, and it's tr- struggling to get free, even to save its life, and just chunks of flesh being torn out. That's the picture that Matthew gives as Jesus sees the people. First of all, he's like, they are, they are flayed, they are skinned, they are mangled. The word helpless literally means to be thrown down or to be cast down forcefully. There's actually something that happens with sheep. Some of you may have seen this on a, people make funny YouTube videos that are not that funny, but they they call it when a sheep is cast, a sheep is on its back. It's been knocked over by something or pushed down by an animal or even like its own family members. And it's on its back, and a sheep, especially when it's full of wool, cannot get from its back back onto its feet. And a sheep can literally die simply because it's been cast down, and it's helpless. That's, that's the second picture. And then he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, they're defenseless, they're clueless, they're leaderless, they're helpless, And I want to just pause here and try to put ourselves back into that day and time, that culture where Jesus lived. And let's think about why was Jesus seeing these massive crowds following him so needy, so hungry, so harassed, so helpless? Well, you have right off the top, you have a political layer like you do today to the harassment. They are vassals of a Roman empire. They're paying massive percents in tax. Some estimate even 80 or 90% of their income for the common person is going to pay Roman taxes. So they're an oppressed people politically. They have very little freedom, crushing taxes, fear, frustration, crying out like, God, don't you see us? This is kind of like Egypt all over again. We're slaves. We're not free people to worship you however we want. You know, culturally then, you have all these different groups in conflict. You have ethnic strife, just like you do today. Jews and Samaritans, who were the like half Jew, half Gentile. And the Gentile and the Romans and the Persians and all this ethnic stuff going on. Conflict, pride, injustice, patriarchy, all this stuff. Religiously, the Jews had the law of God, but they also had leaders who just pressed that law down on them and just multiplied oral tradition and more and more rules. And Jesus would even condemn them and say, you leaders, you you pile up these burdens on people and don't even lift a finger to help them spiritually. You're self-righteous. You've got do-nothing leaders who they're getting fat off of you all while you are harassed and helpless. And then, you know, there's obviously a personal layer too. Jesus would have known their stories of just even your personal relationship, maybe, maybe a struggle of marriage or your parenting and you've got conflict there and it's painful sometimes or your, your jobs, you know, you're out of work and the fishing's not going well this time of year and, and all this normal stuff with health and finances and worry about the future. And Jesus sees this. And again, verse 36, when he saw the crowds. What's next? He had compassion on them. So I said, number one, Jesus sees, but number two, Jesus senses. So Jesus is going through life, and as he's deliberately interacting with thousands of different people, he's not just, you know how you can, you can hear something, but you're not listening? My, my kids know that. <laughs> um, you can also see something 
but not really see it. You ever do that where you, where you see something, you're like, I, yeah, I pass by this every day, and, and you don't really see it. Jesus first is really seeing it, but then what Matthew says is what it's doing to him, and I love this Greek word, splachnitsomai, just a gnarly word that kind of describes this intense thing that's going on. It's literally like in your intestines, in your inner person, there's this turmoil, but the turmoil looks like pity. The turmoil looks like mercy. The turmoil looks like I care so deeply about the pain that you are experiencing. It's doing something to me in here. If you're parents, like you've, you've felt that for your kids. Nobody told you, like, this is just going to feel different this time. You felt that. You know, we still have terms like heart-rending or gut-wrenching, and that's the idea of this word compassion. And what Matthew is showing us here is before Jesus sends out and commissions disciples to go be apostles, he's saying, what is the heart? What is the root? What is the motive? What is the driving force behind everything that Jesus does? It is compassion. Now, I think this is good. In a lot of Christian circles, there's a, a very heavy emphasis on studying like the mind of Christ. And we even have a verse, right, from Paul. Like, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we, we're learning to think like Jesus. And of course, we're Western and we're rational. And so we're like, yes, I need to think like Jesus. And that's good. But do you have a category in your life for how Jesus feels? How Jesus felt about different things? Do you have a category to say, why is Jesus angry here? Why is Jesus sad here or happy here? Why is he laughing? Why is he crying? What kinds of things are breaking his heart? Why those things? Some of you have been following along with this new kind of mini series called The Chosen about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And I saw, so I'm gonna paraphrase something. I don't remember the exact quote, but Jonathan Rumi is the actor who plays the title character of Jesus. And they were interviewing him one time, and I think Dallas Jenkins, the producer, was there, and Jonathan Rumi, the actor, was there, and they're like, you know, you have brought the character of Jesus to life for so many people. You know, how were you able to do that? And he said a bunch of things that were very interesting. You should go back and watch the interview. And he's like, look, I recognize I'm just an actor, but he's like, you know, in method acting, he's like, one of the things that I did as I read through the Gospels over and over and over again and then went to act something out as I thought in every different acting scene, what is the full range of emotions that Jesus would experience here as a perfect man? What is the full range of anger and brokenness and sadness and gritty, like, oh, this hurts, but I love you and I'm affectionate towards you. And he's like, and I brought like all of that intensity of emotion, I try to bring that to every scene. And that's what I mean when I say Jesus senses that he's not just walking through life. Yeah, I see that. I see that. I see that. We're good. Okay. I see. He's like, I see, I see. And my heart breaks over the stuff I'm seeing and it breaks so much. I'm going to do something about it. And that doing something is point three, Jesus shepherds his people. When he says, I see my people and they are like sheep without a shepherd, well, he's going to say, so I've come to shepherd them. And that's exactly what you see in verse 35. When he's teaching sound doctrine and he's declaring good news, when he's healing every sickness and weakness are the two words there, he's doing what a good shepherd does. He's rescuing and he's renewing. 
And he's rescuing and he's renewing. And he's rescuing and renewing because that's what a good shepherd does. He's feeding and he's leading his flock. Now, I want to point out, why is this shepherding language so important? Because you know she uses kind of two agrarian metaphors here. First, like a shepherd with a flock and then this field, a crop of grain that's ready to be harvested. Well, it's important because it shows us the real world practical nature of Jesus' compassion. It shows you with shepherding language, compassion is active, not passive. Compassion compels Jesus to lead and to feed and to guide and to guard and to rescue and to tend his people. But the shepherding language is also important for a second reason, and it's this, that Matthew is showing you with his shepherding language not only what Jesus is doing, he's showing you who Jesus is. And here's what I mean. If you go all the way back to Numbers, chapter 27, so the book, five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Moses, that great patriarch and leader of Israel, brought him out of Egypt in the Exodus. He's leading his people, and his time is kind of coming to an end. He's going to pass away. He needs to hand off the ministry of leadership to someone else. And we read this in Numbers 27, 15. Moses spoke to the Lord saying, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in. Get this, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. So Moses' prayer is, God, provide a man, and then another, and then another. And from the very early days, the, the Israelites, the Jews, understood that this text, like Numbers 27, was ultimately messianic. He's praying, God, send a very special leader, your king, to shepherd your people. And it's, the, the fact that it's pointing to a Messiah is even more clear in a prophecy like Micah 5. So Micah 5, if you turn there, is where this famous prophecy of like the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And everybody's like, wait, Bethlehem, this little like cow town, like how, how is that going down? And he's like, well, because I, I chose Bethlehem for the king to come. But he goes on and right after he says this king will come from Bethlehem, he says, and he will shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Psalm 23 that was read this morning, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, turn with me to... Ezekiel 34, if you will, because this is going to be, as Jesus uses this metaphor and he's seeing these crowds and he's like, what I see and what touches my heart, what breaks my heart is that you crowds of people are like sheep without a shepherd. And if Jesus were to speak those words out loud, everyone would understand he's making a reference pretty much to Ezekiel 34 and what the true Messiah would come one day to do about it. So Ezekiel 34, um, look with me at verse one. So this is Ezekiel the prophet speaking. He says, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick, you have not healed. The injured, you have not bound up. The strayed, you have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. 
and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. And you hear this indictment that God is saying through his prophet, you leaders of Israel, you spiritual guides, you have utterly failed because all you care about is your position, your role, your title, your power, your pleasure. Instead of actually getting in there and doing the gritty work of shepherding and rescuing and renewing and feeding and bandaging wounds. And so when Jesus comes and he starts speaking over the crowds of people that are coming to him and he sees them broken politically, financially, spiritually, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera, they are broken people. And he's talking about stuff like this. Why? Because the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel fit this description. You've failed. That's, that's the bad news. Now go on. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Jump to 14. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy, I will feed them in justice. And if you remember back from the previous couple of weeks, this is exactly what you see Jesus doing. Broken, miserable, ostracized, messed up people. And Israel's just written them off. We don't, we don't talk to tax collectors. We don't talk to prostitutes. We don't talk to sinners, bad, bad people. Jesus, you don't understand what you're doing. He's like, I understand exactly what I'm doing. I'm shepherding the scattered and I'm bringing them back and I'm binding them up and I'm rescuing them and I'm restoring them. So this is what I mean when I say Jesus sees, he senses compassion for them. He's shepherding because Israel needed a shepherd. Now we come to this kind of sudden metaphor change, where he goes from this pastoral shepherding to an agricultural metaphor. So still thinking of these crowds in need of a shepherd, still thinking of these crowds in need of rescue and renewal. Here's what Jesus says, verse 37. He says this to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So he said, Jesus sees he senses, he shepherds. Now, number four, Jesus sends. This is the beginning of the multiplication of Jesus' ministry, where before Jesus had said, come and learn, now go and do. And this is where he's starting to make that turn to now you go and do. And, and what Jesus is saying is, as he just looks out, he's like, there are too many people with too many needs. So what is the crucial need of the hour? And to Jesus, it's not like, man, I wish there were people out there who understood who I, you know, who I am and just were willing to come. He's like, no, 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 they're, they're ready. And, and, and the metaphor of the crop is like, if you look out at grain when it's ready to go and the, the little buds have now popped and you actually have the grain there in the ear and you look across and the wind's blowing and it's white. 
are very light colored. And he's like, it's ready to go. Now who's gonna go and get them? Now there's an important like seasonality and sequence to the metaphor Jesus is using because obviously you can't go and bring in a harvest if nobody sowed the seed in the first place. And Jesus touches on this other places. Like we need sowers and we need those who, who work among the grain and they're, they're, they're killing the weeds and they're getting rid of the, the vermin that would mess up the entire crop and bugs that would eat it and all this kind of stuff. So you gotta tend it. So a harvest of souls presupposes that there's this sowing and tending and caring going on. But what is Jesus calling his disciples to? Explicitly, it's an invitation to pray. Explicitly, he's saying the crucial need of the hour is that you all get on your knees and you pray, God, send more laborers to bring people home, to bring them in to your family, okay? Um, But implicitly, what else is Jesus calling them to? Is he like, hey, just just pray. It's like, sweet, I prayed, check the box, done. Now I'm back to fishing. No, I mean, the, the very fact that he's like, pray that Jesus, pray that God would send more laborers. Implicitly, he's saying, this is also an invitation for you to join the mission, right? It's an invitation for you to join the mission. Like if you're, if you're sitting there, you know, and you're, you're in the Super Bowl and you're like, oh, starting quarterback goes down and you're the backup quarterback. You're not like, man, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pray for his ACL right now. I'm just gonna pray that it heals. And it's like, that's, that's great. And you should pray for your friend and your quarterback, but we need you to get in the game because there's an opening, right? And so it's, it's both. And what I want you to see here with this four-part cycle of Jesus sees, Jesus senses, Jesus shepherds, then Jesus sends, is what you have is gospel, 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 gospel application. What you have is good news, Jesus sees you. Good news, Jesus senses compassion. Good news, Jesus shepherds you. Now, what are you going to do with that? Jesus sends. Okay, so let's, let's wrap this up with a couple applications for us. And I think the theme here is Matthew simply saying, respond with all that you are to the rescuing and renewing mission of Jesus. Respond with all that you are. So if that means pray, because that's a part of who you are. If it means go, because that's a part of who you are. If it means speak words of compassion, because that's a part of who you are. He's just calling you, respond with everything in your life to this great mission of Jesus. Okay, and I'll show you three ways you can do this. Number one, application one, let's just start with praise. Praise Jesus for rescuing and renewing you. That's exactly what Matthew's doing here. He's this tax collector that was just saved by Jesus, called by Jesus earlier in the same chapter. And as he's meditating back all these years later, and he's like, man, I remember when Jesus did this at this point in his ministry and these crowds of people were coming to him and it was messy and it was dirty and it was smelling and it was exhausting and man were we tired but this is how Jesus saw people like a shepherd whose heart was breaking and says if nobody else is going to rescue them and renew them then I will and Matthew's like and and he did that for me so how does he respond by writing the gospel account which is what he's praising Jesus like look what Jesus did in my life And if Jesus can do this for my life, he can do it for you because I was pretty messed up. I was the worst of the worst, okay? So I I pause here with just this question. Are you grateful this morning that Jesus saw and sees you? 
And I don't mean like in a scary way, you know, like growing up in some circles, this is a threat. Like, hey, mommy and daddy got to run for a little bit, but just remember, God's watching, you know? And it's like, he only sees your bad stuff, right? So you're never going to get away with anything. Be sure your sins will find you out, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and, and God does see all the bad but that's, that's not what he's doing here in this text. He knows every single person in those crowds is coming to him with just a backpack full of sin and guilt and shame. And Jesus sees that. But he sees your sin, your guilt, your shame qualifies you for grace. So let's go. Let's give you grace. So are, are you able to start this morning by just saying, I am grateful that God sees me in my mix of good and bad, brokenness and beauty, and he loves me and he rescues me and he renews my soul. He leads me by still waters. Are you thankful for his compassion in your life? So worship, I think, is the first appropriate response to this text. So praise Jesus. Secondly, pray for Jesus to raise up others to join this mission of rescue and renewal. And by the way, this is more than just praying for missionaries and evangelists and church planters, though it is that. And I love a couple resources that we periodically hand out here downtown. One of them is called Five Things to Pray for Your City, just a little book. But what it does is it kind of reorients the way that you're driving through town on your way to work or driving to that restaurant or just having to go to the hospital or the clinic for this doctor's appointment or that. And it just reorients the way I'm seeing everything about like, here's another opportunity to pray over my city. God, send someone into this sector of industry. And I think this is so important that what we're doing is not, again, not, not just praying for church planners and the like, but saying, I'm praying for very ordinary Christians who are electricians and plumbers and attorneys and school teachers and engineers and architects and real estate professionals and on and on we could go. Because what we need, what Jesus calls us to is to go into all of these different fields that are ripe for some kind of harvest and to minister the, the rescue and the renewal of Jesus there. And I love this other little resource, Praying for the City, that came out of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York, which is just a series of, you know, I, I can go through it once a month. It's 30 prayers for 30 different sectors of industry. So, you know, today I could be praying over like um, business development people. And there's a prayer written here of like, how would you pray for them to live on mission for Jesus in their industry sector? And this is, by the way, where we're going as a church with industry cohorts, vocational cohorts, vocational prayers, because we believe that this calling of Jesus is real, that we are praying, Jesus, raise up more and more laborers to go into your vineyard, to go into your field and work it like you worked it to rescue and renew and restore with your grace. So praise, pray, and then one last thing, participate in Jesus' mission of rescue and renewal. And I just, I just wanna demystify the mission of Jesus real quick. And I gave you this cycle so you can see it's really that simple. Jesus sees, Jesus senses, Jesus shepherds, Jesus sends now us, okay? So the moment this service ends, you have an opportunity to turn to someone and see them. I don't, I don't mean like as, as, as was said earlier from the stage, not, not just being like, uh, hey, nice to see you, shake hands, but in, in a reconciling way that comforts, that encourages, that, that sees something that's there, like you're, you're hurting or 
How can I speak a word of encouragement? You know, when you go back to your apartment or your house with your family or roommates this afternoon, you have an opportunity to see people. When you go back to work tomorrow, many of you, or tonight even, you have an opportunity to see people. Um, and when you start getting out more, because hopefully COVID's easing up and you can take off your mask and then you, like, you see people more, here's, here's four questions for you that are right from here. What would Jesus see here? What would Jesus feel here? What would Jesus do here? And what would Jesus pray here? And can you imagine how transformative those four questions would be if literally you just walked into a room and you're like, what would Jesus see here? Not, not what do I instinctively default to seeing? And that's where it starts. Because we have, we have one of two tendencies. Our, our tendency, tendency is often we actually don't see what's right there because we have filters, we, we've glazed over, we've become calloused in our hearts, or it's just like we see it every day so we no longer see it. We do that. We also have a problem in our culture where we, we see things that aren't there. And we wanna see certain things in everything. And there, there's a danger because if Jesus walked into a situation, um, let's just take like misogyny, okay? Jesus would not see misogyny nowhere. Sorry, he wouldn't. He also wouldn't see it everywhere because what he would be doing is saying, here's an example of a man who loves his wife and loves his children. And like, look at this, like way to go. I encourage this. Now you're not perfect, but you're doing a good job. And then if he sees it over here, he'd be like, that needs to stop. Okay, so I'm talking about different things in our culture that we don't want to see it everywhere, but we don't want to see it nowhere. We, we want to interpret through healthy lenses. So I'll say it like this. If you see messes and conflict and drama and like just like literally disgusting things like out on the sidewalk, and that's all you see, and you don't also see people in need of a savior and a shepherd, then you're not seeing the way Jesus sees. If you're like, ugh, the city, it's loud, it's noisy, it's this, it's that, it's gross, it's mess, ugh, conflict but you don't see people in need of a savior and a shepherd, you don't see the way Jesus sees. On the other hand, if you're just kind of like a consumer and you see the neon lights of pleasure and fun experiences and consumption and YOLO and opportunities for yourself, and it's just on and on and on, and you don't also see people in need of a shepherd and savior, you don't see the way Jesus sees. And I just stop right here and say, what is crushing and mangling people today in your orbit? Like, just look. What is crushing them? What is eating them up and spitting them back out? What is hurling them down and trampling on them? And, and if we see what Jesus sees, then we're seeing some root causes and we can start to go on to the second thing. Okay, if I see this as Jesus sees this, what do I sense? What do I feel about this? Do I feel anger? Do I feel joy? Do you know what prevents us from seeing people this way? Um, I think one of them is simply like that little device that we carry around with us that has all the information on it. Because like, I mean, if you're like me at all, it's like confession time, it's so easy just to be like, oh, I have a moment of time. Like what's going on with the weather? What's going on with sports scores of teams that I follow? What's going on with this and that? And social media and uh, did JD post something new on you know, Park Church Instagram page? Oh, he did, cool, I like that. You know, and that, this is what we do. 
And I think sometimes we're, we're missing the way Jesus would see just because we're obsessed with like a device or a habit that's not in and of itself wrong, but we're missing the world that Jesus would see. Sometimes we're missing, we're not seeing because we've, in, we've literally been indoctrinated by culture to see differently than Jesus, okay? I'm not, I'm not bashing public education, that's not my point, but a mix between media, social media, public education, entertainment voices that speak into our lives, if we're just swimming in that pond and it gets all over us, they are not discipling you to see the world the way Jesus sees the world. So we gotta take a step back and say, what, what is this doing to me? What, what other lenses am I viewing everything through so I don't see the world the way Jesus sees it? I don't see people the way Jesus sees them because I've got these other lenses, you know? And, and that's, you know, right now very politicized stuff. You know, I just wanna make America great again. And so I see everything through this lens of like, those are the bad people and we're the good people. Or you're over here and you're like Antifa. Or, I mean, all this stuff going on with race and masks and social distancing and pandemic or plandemic or which, whichever it is. And we have these lenses. And because we can't take them down for one second to see people the way Jesus sees them, we're not ever getting to step two. We don't feel heartbroken. We feel mad. Like those people are messing up this good life that I had. So I, let me just say, I, here, here's what I think a solution is to seeing people the way Jesus sees them. There's a type of optical illusion called an after effect or an after image. Some of you may have seen this. There's actually a meme going around right now that's like, stare at these black and white wheels that are spinning. Stare at these, you've seen these, like stare at these wheels for 30 seconds. And then very quickly, like swipe left. And it's a picture of Van Gogh's, like the starry night. And you've been looking at these wheels spinning for 30 seconds and then you swipe and you're looking at the starry night and what's happening is like the art is moving. Have you seen this? It altered the way you saw something later because you focused intently your gaze on something. And I think if we see and savor Christ, I want to study this shepherd. I want to know him as a shepherd. I want to know him as a king. I want to know him as a servant. I want to know everything there is to know about him. And not academically, I mean relationally. And I want to stare at Jesus and stare at Jesus and stare at Jesus. So when I walk back out, that is so imprinted on my eyeballs and my brain, I just start seeing stuff the way that he sees it. That'd be cool. Um, so I said, what would Jesus see here? What would Jesus feel here? Again, would he feel righteous anger? Would he feel affection? Would he feel compassion? Would he feel kindness? And why don't we feel the way Jesus feels? I think a lot of times it's because we have a self-righteousness thing going on. So it's easy to judge. And I heard from some, someone, something that stuck with me. You ever, you ever go through life and you, you see someone, maybe someone you know, maybe it's just someone there on the street corner, and you think, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Okay, if you, if you don't do that, like our entire culture besides you is doing that right now, okay? What is wrong with you? What is wrong with those people? And I think if we sensed with a heart of compassion the way Jesus senses with a heart of compassion, instead of saying what's wrong with you, we'd be asking something more like, what has happened to you that you're this way? Do you hear the difference? Because you realize like this person has a story. This person has a history like bad, sad, painful, hard things have been done to her too. What's, what's been done to you? And all of a sudden you're affectionate instead of self-righteous. What's wrong with you? 
but you gotta see first and then let God break your heart with what you're seeing. What would Jesus see here? What would he feel here? What would he do here? Would Jesus go and speak a word of truth, a word of hope, a word of grace, a word of forgiveness? Like literally just some of you need to go today because this is what Jesus would do and call up someone or send them an email or see them in person if you can and literally say, I forgive you. Because that's what Jesus does. When his heart breaks for people and they're broken, he forgives them. And maybe you're hanging on to something and you're like, no, I, you know, to, to forgive them would be to give them some kind of victory. No, it doesn't. It gives grace victory. It gives Jesus victory, okay? Um, do our actions reflect the shepherding actions of Jesus or are they more of a consumer mentality? Are we seeking to rescue and renew? Are we helping Jesus shepherd his flock or do our actions demonstrate functionally, I serve a different master? Because what I'm doing with my actions is to consume, to have money, to have pleasure, to have recreation, to have the esteem of this particular subset of culture that I so long for the respect of this group, the affirmation of this group. I wanna impress this group. What would Jesus do here? And then I said, fourthly, what would Jesus pray here? And again, even before Jesus sends his disciples, he says, let's together pray that God does something here. Now we can go let's pray. And you actually go back with these four questions. You can go through the gospels and probably read them in a whole new way. What was Jesus seeing here? What was Jesus feeling here? What was Jesus doing here? What was Jesus praying? Depending on his father for in this story. Okay. So again, responding, this is the call of Matthew, respond with all that you are and all that you have to this shepherding ministry. And you can see how it just starts this cycle all over again. We say, Jesus sees us, praise God. Jesus senses and has a heart of compassion for us, praise Jesus. He shepherds us. He rescues and restores and rescues and restores and forgives and binds up and does all these things that the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34 does. But then as he sends, you notice the centrifugal force now, right? Because now he's gonna say 12, go and do what you've seen me do. And what, what, what have you seen me do? You've seen me see and sense and shepherd. So now you go and do that. And it's gonna be 12 and then it's gonna be 120. And then at Pentecost, is gonna be thousands. And this is how the church grows. This is how the mission of Jesus penetrates every nook and cranny of culture so that more and more people get the rescue of Jesus, the renewal of Jesus, they get grace, they get to come home as part of this harvest of lives for all eternity to worship Jesus forever. Let's pray. Father, help us, I, you know, just with these application points again, Lord, if, if we are not first worshiping you and praising you with this stunning good news that you see us and not in this judgmental, condemning, like constantly angry, constantly disappointed at us sort of way, but he sees the brokenness. He sees the mix of, of who we are, what we are. And the Bible says, in a word that's only used of Jesus or kind of the heroes of some of Jesus' parables. He has compassion. His heart is breaking and compelling him to come and lay down his life. The good shepherd who ultimately rescues the sheep by laying down his own life. So we praise you for that, Jesus. We do pause even in this moment, Lord, and just, just do exactly what Jesus commanded the first disciples to do. And we are praying, Lord, that you raise up many more 
laborers to go into all these different fields of industry, all the different neighborhoods that are represented in this room where people live and where they work and where they play. And, um, you know, as we go back out from here, we are, we are leaving the salt shaker and we are pouring ourselves out on the city. So Lord, would you kind of like deputize each person in here to go to represent the good news of Jesus and be on mission to see what you see, to sense what you sense, to shepherd in patterns that are healthy and life-giving. And Lord, do this over and over and over again so that more and more people are coming out of darkness into light. They are coming back from being scattered and afraid and anxious and depressed and proud and all these things that we could be. And they're becoming humble. They're becoming more and more like Jesus because you're pouring the fruit of the spirit into them, giving them love, joy, and peace that they never had before. So Lord, we pray that you do that. Lord, thank you for shepherding us. Help us to jump into this mission with both feet and just go and be a part of what you're doing. Amen. Thanks for listening. Park Church exists to make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and for the joy of all people. If you enjoyed this, make sure you share it with someone. We'd also love to hear from you on social media. Find us with at Park Church Denver. Lastly, more resources and info are available online at parkchurch.org. Peace and love.